1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. This is a very sad day, of course, in the history of Milwaukee County, the city of Milwaukee, the area. As we speak, there is the visitation which is underway for fallen Milwaukee police officer Michael Mahalski. Um, we will be, well, the visitation in Oak Creek is going on now, and it'll go on till 3 o'clock. Then there is a funeral service starting at 3 o'clock. We will be bringing you coverage from the funeral service. A number of people are scheduled to speak. And then there is a procession following that. Uh, that's a, scheduled to occur around 5 o'clock. And we're pretty much going to be going wall-to-wall on, on that on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So we'll continue to keep you updated on all those developments. Like I say, right now there is the visitations going on. And we'll be going on for the next couple hours down in Oak Creek. Just a very, very sad day. One fifteen this afternoon, we're scheduled to be joined by Governor Scott Walker. We're going to talk about the sales tax holiday and a number of other things, plus a lot of stuff between, of course, now and 3 o'clock. In the 1 o'clock hour, there was something interesting that happened yesterday at a rally. President Trump down in Tampa, Florida, he has a rally. The networks are covering that rally, and some interesting back and forth went on between the CNN reporter, who has been one of the the principal, I would say, thorns in the side of the president and the crowd um, during a a live broadcast that CNN was trying to do. We have links to the whole story and the audio, and we're going to be discussing that during the 1 o'clock hour of the program. If you want to get a head start on that story and you want to, we're going to play some of the audio of what happened on the radio, but if you want to see the video as well, if you text me, CNN, I don't know if CNN's a word, but if you text me CNN to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I'll send you a link to the audio, to the video, and to the report that we're going to be discussing. So just text me CNN, and you'll be able to get a head start on what we're going to be discussing during the 1 o'clock hour of the program. All right. As we move into the digital age, um, as we have been doing recently, the first couple segments of the program, we, we live stream on Facebook Live, and we are doing that again today. If you have access to a computer and you choose to do it, if you go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can see what's going on in the studio and you can participate in the first discussion that we're going to have via Facebook Live, as well as the phones, as well as the text line, all those things. So let us get started. We are up broadcasting again on it's facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. And I know a number of people have been doing that over the last couple days. Let's get started. As you might have heard, the Democratic National Convention is possibly, and I say possibly, coming to Milwaukee. One of the owners of the Bucks, and of course, the, the owners of the Bucks, the, the big owners of the Bucks are big time Democrats and big time donors, big time fundraisers, and they are making a push to have the 2020 Democrat convention in Milwaukee. And Milwaukee is one of the, I guess, semifinalists or finalists. It is a city which is under consideration. I don't know if at the end of the day the Democrats are going to decide to come here. But I, I will tell you, I mean, there's some heavyweight contributors. There's some financial powerhouses who are pushing for Milwaukee. Well, into the fray comes Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. Now, Tom Barrett is, as we have discussed over the last few years, he has decided that he wants his legacy to be the downtown streetcar, 
you know the streetcar that has had the city of Milwaukee torn up for the better part of the last couple years. The streetcar that is costing us, taxpayers, about $120 million. Now, I, I understand that half of that or more comes from federal grants. But, I mean, federal grants, it's not just money that kind of rains down from heaven. The, the federal grants, that's taxpayer money. So even though it's not directly money from the city of Milwaukee, even though there's going to be money from the taxpayers of Milwaukee that get put into it, um, you have the, the streetcar is a very, very costly enterprise. Now, the Potawatomi have stepped up. What do they call it? They call it the flop? No, 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 they call it the hop. They call it the hop. I think it's going to be a flop, but the, the Potawatomi have stepped up, and they are going to subsidize the rides for at least a year. So you're going to be able to ride it for free. So we're not going to know really whether anybody would pay to ride it. But the problem the streetcar has is it's costing $120 million ballpark to install a streetcar that really doesn't go anywhere that people want to ride. It, it starts off at the bus station, kind of winds a little bit through downtown, and then ends up um, on the Lower East Side. It doesn't go to the Bucks Arena. It doesn't go to Marquette. It does have a spur or will have a spur that goes down to the lakefront. So I guess theoretically, if you need to get to the, from the bus depot to the lakefront during Summerfest or Germanfest, you, you can take it. But the big problem is it doesn't go anywhere. And two, I will give the mayor his due. In all on, he acknowledges that, that his plan is that he wants to see the streetcar expand all throughout the, the city because he recognizes that the only way the thing is going to work is if you do expand it all throughout the city because you're never going to get enough riders to sustain it if you just limit it to the you know one point whatever mile two point one mile radius that it is now. So with the idea that the Democrats may be coming to Milwaukee for their 2020 convention. Today's TMJ4 reports that, well, the mayor and some people at City Hall, wait for it, are already talking about expanding the streetcar in anticipation of the convention. Here's what Channel 4 reports. Milwaukee considers streetcar expansion for the Democratic National Convention. The Milwaukee hop isn't even running down the tracks yet, but there's already talk of expanding the streetcar in time for the 2020 Democratic National Convention if Milwaukee gets the event. Milwaukee city engineers have been meeting to discuss design and engineering obstacles while the mayor's office is exploring um, further funding methods. The mayor says, it's something that will be tight for us to do. It would be difficult to us to do, but we think we can pull it off. The mayor says that he believes once this starts running, the dynamic will change and the debate would change as to how can I get this extended to our neighborhood. The city engineer says current streetcar construction has prepared the city. Yeah, you can't get anywhere in downtown Milwaukee because of this, so people are prepared to have the streets torn up. We've kind of gone through this process. Now we have some of the relationships already established. We have some of the processes and how to do that coordination. With a yes, if the Democratic National Committee were to say, yeah, we'll bring the convention here, the city would have less than 18 months to build the addition. The city engineer says, I think it's going to be possible. And what they would look for is they would go to the bus station, and they would run another line up 4th Street, presumably to the area of the Bucks Arena. They say, oh, we, we think that we could do that. Um, one of the big issues is, of course, 
how how are you going to pay for this? Like I say, the first installment was 120 million. The mayor says we always knew that the next leg was that we wanted to do. So there's already been a tax incremental financing district that's been created and would fund the extension to the arena. The city is also applying for federal build funding dollars, which could be decided soon. Now, I wouldn't hold your breath that the Trump administration is going to be handing out huge grants to the city of Milwaukee to extend a streetcar line. But what do I know? All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Not a single person has ridden the hop or the flop or whatever as of yet. Should we be looking already at expanding this? And I don't know how many tens of millions of dollars this this would cost. But the mayor appears prepared to spend whatever it's going to take to do that. Would this be a good investment? Or at the very least, should we wait and see what happens to the streetcar line before we put it in? Because keep in mind, the Democratic National Convention, even if we get it, even if they decide to bring it to Milwaukee, it's a week. It's a week. The streetcar is potentially forever or at least until another mayor and a new common council come in, recognize it's a huge mistake, and tear it out. 414-799-1620. Should we expand it before anybody's even ridden the trolley? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. It's 1218. And again, if you want to participate, also, we are live streaming. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, there's not a single person that's ridden the trolley or the streetcar, whatever you want to call it, yet. Um, And I don't think there's going to be many people that ultimately will ride the trolley slash streetcar, especially once they have to start paying for it. But already Tom Barrett is saying, look, look, here's what we've got to do. If we get the Democratic National Convention, we're going to have 18 months. We need to run a streetcar line from the bus depot up to the um, up to the convention center. We want to make it easier for people to get around. Now, of course, who knows how many tens of millions of dollars that that is going to cost? Who knows what the disruption is going to be? And, of course, even if you get the convention, it's one week. But, of course, the the trolley line will be there forever. So, good idea, bad idea. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. What do you think? It's a whacked out idea. I mean, mean, anybody in, in business be the first person to tell you is like you're basing everything on a number one a hypothetical because you have nothing you know to back it up first of all and you won't know even after a year you know until it's going to be the second year of operation where you'll actually have some some sort of a well and probably plan. beyond that because like I say the the Potawatomi well, God the bless them they're the they're underwriting it yeah for the yeah, first year yeah, for the so first year. Right. so you got a whole year behind that right and then and then it's like think of yourself as like a manufacturing background. It's like buying a, a huge piece of equipment to do one job. And yes. you, know, you don't know if you have customers behind it. You don't know if there's going to be you know, additional usage or whatever. There's nothing there. I right. mean, I, it makes absolutely zero sense. And then, and then what everybody forgets, oh, well, you know, the federal, you know, we get the grant and whatever. Yeah, but that doesn't cover the operating costs after right. the initial construction. Oh, oh absolutely. And, and it's at some point in time, you know, the, the Potawatomi subsidy is going to go away. That you, you would away. assume. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, if, if it fails, then then if it fails, then let's just say ridership goes down after Potawatomi thing goes away. You know, the, the hop, when people have to pay, yeah, whatever you call it, you know, whatever. <laughs> and people start paying, nobody's going to pay. You know, a, what's going to happen during the winter? Because you've right. got to, you know, calculate in the, you know, the, the calculus there as far as uh, ridership and things like that. It's it's kind of like. Well, let me put it. I mean, thanks. For, I mean, it. Let, let's be clear here. It would be insane to do what the mayor is talking about based on the idea that you're going to get a convention where people are going to come in for one week. That would be just absolutely insane. It would be like saying, all right, you've got the Milwaukee, the Harley, it's the 100th anniversary of Harley. So, you know, we're having all these bikers that are going to come in for this particular weekend. Well, we need to build all sorts of hotels to deal with that one weekend. That That's just absolutely insane. Now, look, maybe I'm going to be wrong. All right, I, I don't think so. But maybe I'm going to be wrong. Maybe this downtown streetcar is going to take off. It's going to be the greatest thing since canned beer, and you're going to need and want to expand it. All right, I, maybe that's going to happen. But you don't do this kind of expansion until you get some idea as to whether it's going to work or not. And to do it for and use the justification, well, there's going to be this one-time event where we're going to have a lot of people coming in, and we want to have it for this week. I mean, boy, you talk about having the camel stick its nose under the tent. Oh, we need it for this one week, and then we've got it forever. Well, really? Come on. 414-799-1620. Lat in Stevens Point. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I think it's crazy how these politicians like Tom Barrett, some other ones, that they, they think they have an open checkbook when it's not their checkbook. And mm-hmm. it's the taxpayer's checkbook. And like your last caller said, he hit it right on the head. You don't you don't go spending money when you don't know how this thing's operate. The operating expenses are gonna be tremendous on this on this trolley or train or whatever you want to call it, but I think, you know, you run it, but now it's too late now it's here. I wish it wasn't here, but you run it for a while, see what ridership's going to be. Yeah. And if you don't have ridership, you don't, you don't expand. It's just like a business. You don't, you don't expand a business in the corporate America if you're not going to make profits enough to expand it. Right. And, and you're not, and the reality is the way they have set this up, you know, especially with the free ridership in that first year, you're not going to know whether there's any sort of interest in this or not. You've got to give it three or four years. It would be crazy to all of a sudden expand this on this idea that, well, maybe this is going to be incredibly popular. And it would be even crazier to do it because you're going to have one big event that's happening. I mean, that's not how you run a business. That's not how any responsible business would run. Yeah, so, absolutely. So uh, I hope hopefully they won't expand this and see where it's going to take off, I guess. Right. Now, thanks. Again, right. See, I'm with you completely. I think best case scenario, they should never have done this. I've said this before. I completely believe that if you have Martians that land in Cathedral Square Park 15 years from now, and they're going to see this empty trolley line, and they're going to find out how much money we spent on it, they are going to leave thinking that there's no intelligent life on Earth. I really believe that's the case. But I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that I'm wrong. Okay, maybe this will turn out to be, oh, this is it. It's, it won't turn out to be like it did in Washington, D.C. or Atlanta, where it's been a complete and total flop. Okay, maybe maybe it will work. Maybe we won't have all the problems. Maybe this will be the thing that, I don't know, helps reinvigorate downtown Milwaukee. I don't see it, but okay, maybe I'm wrong on that. But we're not going to know. We're not going to have any idea for a while. And to try to spend tens of millions or another hundred million or whatever it's going to cost to try to do something for a one-week event, like I say, it's crazy.
1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hall of Fame week for pro football is underway. And, of course, former Packers great Jerry Kramer going into the Hall of Fame. Canton, Ohio, this weekend. Former Packers wideout James Lofton knows what it takes to get inducted. He'll talk about that and his new job with the Packers when he joins our very own Greg Matzik. That is this evening on Sports Central 645. Uh, the Brewers are still in Los Angeles, so they're late game. I think our coverage starts around 830 or 840 this evening. Stayed up. All right. So th- this was a challenge for me. I, I acknowledge it. And, and by the way, we we've we did live stream the first two segments of the program the first half hour on facebook live as we will do on a daily basis when we're broadcasting from the studio but now we've kind of taken it down but it's actually kind of nice maybe we can maybe we can talk mr sorgi into doing it for a couple hours or something like that but we'll we're experimenting with that uh but in any event so i, I stayed up late last night to watch the, the ball game i am a huge brewers fan of course and um, a lot of people were getting ready to jump off the bandwagon when they limped into the All-Star break. And as I said, coming out of the All-Star break, the the games that they were playing, I think, were very, very significant. You had the series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, series against the Washington Nationals, who are an underachieving but still good club. A lot of people still think they're going to catch fire and they're going to win their division. Now, they haven't shown any signs of doing that. And then an eight-game road trip to the West Coast. And... The West Coast road trips have always been challenging. They're challenging for a lot of teams, and they've always been challenging for the Brewers. Well, they come out, they play the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are the top team in the Western Division, uh, and they play the Nationals. They split those, so they're 3-3 three and three in the homestand. They go out to San Francisco. They win four, three out of four, and they've won the first two in Los Angeles. So even if they lose the next two, hopefully they don't, but you know they're going to have a winning West Coast road trip, and there aren't a lot of teams that can go in, play eight games in San Francisco and Los Angeles, and say that they came out winning you know, the majority of, of those games. And yet that's precisely what's going to happen even, you know, and hopefully they'll win tonight and they'll win tomorrow night. So they've really kind of righted the ship. I think the trade yesterday for the second baseman from Baltimore is actually an outstanding trade. A lot of the national pundits are saying, well, they've got too many infielders. You can't have too many good players. Um, you, you just, you, you, you can't. And I think Craig Council has shown that with the outfielders he has, you can find a way to mix and match people and end up making it work. So I'm I'm kind of excited about this. But in any event, I was watching the game last night. Now, I knew I had to get up early because we were doing Cream Puff Palooza, and so nice to meet so many of you who got in line starting at 1.30 in the morning. Um, a lot of people were there by 3 o'clock to get the six-pack of cream puffs and all that. But I knew I knew I had to get up early. But nevertheless, the, the game was just so riveting. I stayed up in, until it was over. Thankfully, it was a quick game. It played in like two and a half hours. But the Brewers win one to nothing. They're playing solid, good baseball, which isn't to say that they're not capable of throwing in the occasional clunker or not. Or not. But they've now seemed to right the ship, and it's kind of an exciting time. They are in. They are tied for first place essentially with the Chicago Cubs and if we I remember our opening day broadcast if we would have asked anybody any fan or I think anybody in Brewers management hey first of August August 1st best record in the National League the most wins in the National League and tied for first place with the Cubs what would you say and I think pretty much everybody from Mark Atanasio on down would have said 
I'll take it. So very, very exciting season, and the series continues in Los Angeles tonight. And my guess is we're having some people over for dinner. If I don't fall asleep during the dinner party, I'm going to catch my second wind and listen to the game um, as well from Los Angeles. Exciting times. Okay. There, I, I don't... I don't know if people realize this, but the the area, for example, the area pick and saves around here, they're owned, most of them, I I don't want to say, I'm not sure all of them, but most of them, if not all, are owned by Kroger. Kroger is one of the, if not the largest grocery store chain in the country. And a couple of years ago, Kroger took over the, the Roundies brand, which had taken over, you know, pick and saves. So Kroger is a, a big deal nationwide. Now, let's kind of back up on this. When you use your credit card, have you ever wondered how the credit card company makes money? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, first of all, sometimes, not always, but sometimes maybe you have to pay an annual fee for the credit card. All right. Then if you make a late payment, you got to pay interest, which is well above the interest rate you would get if you were taking out a home loan. And, of course, if you're late, sometimes you get late fees. But that's not where the bulk of credit card money comes. Some people, I don't think, realize this. But the merchants that allow you to use the credit card, they pay a percentage of what is charged as a fee to the credit card company for the convenience of having the customer be able to use the credit card. So, I mean, it's going to depend on, it depends on the business. It depends on how the rates have been negotiated and things like that. But when you use a credit card at a business, well, that business is going to have to pay a percentage of the purchase price to that credit card, whether it's American Express or Visa or Master Charge or Discover or, or whatever. And that's where the credit card companies end up making a a lot of their money. You know, when you swipe that card, they end up having to pay a fee. In many, that's also why at some smaller businesses, for example, they'll have a policy where for small purchases, you you can't use your credit card. Like they might say, okay, we're not going to take credit card purchases for for $2.50 because by the time you pay the credit card fee, the, the, any profit margin is pretty much gone. So that that's just kind of the reality. But nevertheless, more and more people use plastic nowadays. People don't write checks. People use their debit cards. They use their credit cards, all those type of things. It is a convenience as we are moving more and more towards a cashless society. So anyhow, um, Kroger has become concerned. They've been looking at their costs. And in the grocery business, margins are low. There's some items where the, the profit margin is, is higher. But for a lot of grocery store, a lot of gro- the groceries you buy, the, the, the grocery store doesn't make a lot of money per item. The grocery stores oftentimes will make their money on volume. You know, so, so maybe they only make two cents if you buy a can of peas for whatever. But, you know, if they're going to sell, if it's a big grocery store and they're going to sell 500 cans of peas in a day or whatever, well, okay, that, that starts to add up. Well, here's what's happening with Kroger. And again, Kroger owns Roundies, Kroger owns Pick and Save. So if, if they were to extend this policy across the country, what you would have is, is perhaps 
affecting those of us, you know, who might shop, shop at a pick and save, for example, in Wisconsin. All right, Kroger has identified a, a, a particular one of the chains it owns in California, and they have said that they are going to stop all visa transactions at their their food company supermarkets, which is a supermarket chain located in California. They're going to say, We're, you're not going to be able to use Visa anymore. And, and they say, here's what, what's happening. The, the problem is the fees that Visa is charging us for the convenience of people coming in and using their, their credit cards or debit, their credit cards or Visa cards, it, it's too much. Visa is taking billions of dollars from us. And what we need to do is we need to get this in line. And we need either Visa to lower its rates or we're not going to be able to use it. Now, Kroger has 20 store grocery stores in 21 states. They own a number of regional chains as well. And right now, all they're talking about is this one chain in California. But it's kind of a, it's kind of a test case. And I think what you're going to see is if, if they don't have a huge customer backlash from this, my guess is they'll roll this out across the country as a way of, I'm sure in their minds, hoping that, you know, they can get Visa to agree to lower its rates. Because you're, you're talking about, I think in the food industry, the numbers I'm looking at, it's from the, these just these swipe things. It's like 21 billion, I think, is the number I have. Uh, 90 billion overall in this company's country when you look at all the retail and the fees that are generated. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If, now in this case, we're talking about the Kroger Company, but this is clearly, I think, an idea that a lot of these food chains are, are looking at. If they were to say, all right, we're not going to take Visa anymore, or we're not going to take Master Charge anymore, or we're not going to take American Express. This just happens to be dispute with Visa. All right, would that change your shopping habits? Would you stop patronizing a store that no longer allowed you to use your Visa card or no longer allowed you to use your, uh, again, American Express or whatever? Would there be a customer backlash or would customers get it? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let's see. Wisconsin is giving a sales tax holiday this week on certain back-to-school items. Check out the days of the holiday and the items where you won't pay any sales tax by texting HOLIDAY to 799-1620. During the 130 segment of this program, I, there, something happened between the president and a number of people who were in attendance at a rally he was having in Tampa and a CNN reporter. If you want to see the clips, you can text me the word CNN. Actually, it's not a word, but text me CNN 414-799-1620 and I'll send you those links. We're going to discuss that in the 130 segment after the 130 news. Governor Scott Walker is going to be joining me at 115. We're monitoring what's going on in the with the, the funeral arrangements and the funeral of the fallen Milwaukee police officer. Visitation in Oak Creek is going on now. The funeral service itself kicks in at, at 3 o'clock, and then there's going to be a procession. So we're going to be covering that throughout the scope of the afternoon. But right now, Kroger, which, for example, owns Pick and Save, they're, they're in 21 states. Um, they... They are starting to roll back. They're starting to say, we're not taking MasterCards anymore, Visa. We're not taking Visa because 
They're charging us too much. Now they've only done this in one of the chains, chains, but, uh, there, there, there is a possibility this is going to roll out across the country. Will there be a backlash? Let's talk to, uh, let's see, uh, Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I think Kroger needs to give some really serious thought to how difficult they're going to make things for customers. If I were a visa holder, I would probably stop going altogether if they did that. Um, and if they did did do it, um, since I'm not a visa card holder, I would probably go less anyway because I, I think that would slow down the line quite a bit when people are fumbling for checks and, and cash and stuff. What if they offered a discount for using? Uh, what What if they offered a discount for using another card that perhaps charged them a lower fee? I would probably still go if they did that. Yeah. That seems to be a, a good good compromise. Yeah. No. Thanks. I mean, see that. I mean, it is all. It's all kind of how you play it. But I mean, I. There are, I don't know that they do this anymore, but remember gas stations used to have a price if you paid cash versus a price if you charged. And, and there was, it was always a few cent different. Now, nowadays, pretty much everybody pulls up and you pay with a debit card or a credit card and you pay at the pump. But, but would that something like that work in the grocery industry? And now I hear, here's what Kroger is hoping to do. I, I get this. Kroger is hoping that they can put pressure, in this case on Visa, but perhaps on all the other credit cards as well, to lower what they are charging. Because they just say, hey, you know, we're we're a low profit margin business and this is eating up too much of our profits just by providing this convenience. The question is who has the leverage? Tom and Dousman. Tom here on WTMJ. Hi. Hi yes. Tom. Um I understand Kroger's position. I, I get charged one point seven percent um per dollar amount on a transaction. So it's like two cents on the dollar. Right. But if you're spending, you know, 300 bucks on groceries, that's six bucks. So, you know, it, it adds right, and up. It, right. Well, I was going to say, and it adds up. If everybody is charging that, that's what, you know, whatever the profit margin in margin is in your business, all of a sudden, if you're just giving giving 2% of it away simply for giving somebody the convenience of using a particular card, I can see yep. how that would affect you know businesses both large yep. and small. I I discourage it. I you know I'll take it as a last resort, but I'd much rather take a personal check. Well, sure, because you're not you're For not paying reason. the fees. You know you know it's interesting that you should mention that there are some small business people I deal with, including like a jeweler. I'll give you there's there's a jeweler that I go to to buy stuff for my wife and. Um, one of the things is he'll he'll quote me a price, and I will always make a point of paying for whatever the item is with a personal check or with cash, most of the times a personal check, because I know that if I use that credit card, he's going to have to pay 1.7 or 2% that, you know, that, that's going to really hurt his bottom line, and I don't want to do that. Yep, yep. We're not... We're not all business owners aren't making a killing. Right. Every, every every little bit adds up and, you know, over time or over a year, um, it can be a significant amount of money. OK, so, do, do your customers fight back when you when you say I, I, I don't want to take credit cards? Not at all. The yeah. only ones that do that are ones that collect frequent flyer miles. Right. Well, that yeah, see, that's that. See, that's the thing. And that's why the credit card companies, I think, have gotten more emboldened. Because nowadays everybody wants the rewards points. You know, everybody wants the cash back, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the credit card company that's really paying for that. It's the merchant that you're buying stuff from. And, you know, for people who are struggling with their bottom line, that hurts the merchant. Yeah, no, th- thanks to call. No, that, that is the issue that you have. 
Ann in Milwaukee. Ann, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm sorry. Did you say Ann? I said Ann. Hi, Ann. Hi. Yeah, my comment was basically I go to pick and save, and I use both uh, debit cards. I have a Visa debit and a MasterCard debit, and I never like putting my PIN number in. However, I think they're swaying that way because I believe it's when I use the MasterCard one, they will not accept it without a PIN number. Okay. Uh, my visa goes both ways. So maybe they were doing that to avoid those fees on the MasterCard end already, mm-hmm. and now they're looking to do it on the visa end. Yeah, could be. Now, like I say, this is something that Kroger is starting to roll out, and at least as far as I know, as far as not taking the cards, they're, they're only doing it at one chain in California, but clearly they're, they're talking like they're going to roll this whole thing out. Do you – all right, if, if for example, the, the store that you started shopping at – wouldn't take, decides we're not going to take Visa. Would that make you go to another store? For me, probably not, because I'm in that age group where I still use checks and cash. Right. And like like you had said, when I go to small businesses, car repair places, places that have done services for me, I too pay either cash and a check. Well, first of all, they accept my check. Right. I know they can say would take a check too, but some businesses, if they don't know you, right. they take right. the check. So the Visa is something that they get their money right away. So are they willing to give up that security of getting their money right away right? Um, for that little bit of a fee? You know, I mean, you got to give a, a little bit both ends. So, yes, they want to maneuver that so they get it both ways. But then if you go back to check writing places, are they going to have balanced checks? Right, you know, exactly. I mean, and, and, and see, and these, thanks for, see, this is why I find this to be such an interesting conversation, Ann, because the question is how is this going to all work out moving forward? You know, is there going to be... Obviously, the grocery store chain Kroger thinks that essentially customers will be on their side. Now, I think to make that happen, what they have to do is figure out a way if if they're if they're able to save money by saying we're not going to use Visa, maybe figure out a way to take some of that savings and pass it on to consumers. Like I say, the people that say, all right, if you pay cash, like the gas stations used to be, you pay cash, it's one price, you pay with credit, it's another. Josh in Waukesha. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hi, Josh. Hi. So I own a playground company here in Waukesha, and I use a square, and they charge me about 3%, and most swing sets are roughly about $4,000, give or take. And that's couple hundred dollars out of my pocket for every transaction for a swing set so i always offer to the customer if you pay cash or check i will take off 80 to 100 dollars right off of that so i'm passing the savings on to them so i'm not getting that much either and and how do how do most customers respond when you say that they love it yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's like wait a minute, you know, you mean simply if, if I'm going to pay for this anyways, now I have to pay for it up front instead of being able to, you know, finance it. But yeah, if if I was buying a product from you, Josh, and you said, Jeff, tell you what, if you write me a check or you give me cash, I'm going to knock a hundred dollars off the cost of it. I'm there, my friend. Yeah. Any, any place that per- offers a service for labor, they they should offer you a cash. Right. As well, right? No, thanks. Sir. I see. I I think this again. I, I, whether or not this work, we we want convenience. Look, I get that. We we all want convenience, and and everybody wants the points. I I get that. You want you want to be able to say, yeah, I've got the frequent flyer miles, or I've got this cash back that's coming from. But the truth is, the merchant is paying for that. If 
if, if Kroger is able to make it work, they are going to have to, I think, get the customer, the consumer invested in this, saying, hey, if you use some other credit card or whatever, you pay for cash, we'll give you a discount or we'll give you extra points. You have to make it worth their while. But if you figure out a way to do that, maybe you get the leverage on the credit card company. It's 1250 HF Wagner, WTMJ. It's 110. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I, I'm on our, our, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. And, of course, I, I, was, just, I was just checking out because we, we live stream the first segment or two of the program and people watch it. And, and now it's, it's up there for posterity, so you can go back and you can watch it and you can offer comments. So I, I was just looking at that during the break. And then I see we have a picture up there from Cream Puff of Palooza this morning, which is where we were out there. And, of course, we gave away the six-pack of Cream Puffs. It's one of my favorite events of the year there's only two things that get me out of bed at, at 4 15 in the morning and one is an early morning flight to las vegas and i wasn't going to las vegas today and the other's and cream the, puffs the other, other's cream puff of palooza <laughs> to go yes. back and pass these out mm-hmm. but we have we have just posted a, a picture from cream puff of palooza and it, it's me and karen delisandro who is our you know our colleague on kti country mm-hmm. and i'm looking at this and there's no other way to say it. I look freakishly large. <laughs> you're you know, not freakishly I, thank large. That's what is, thank okay. you, Melissa. Let, Unprompted. Yeah. Let me give you perspective. Karen's very small. She's a very small woman. I think maybe five five feet. I'm five two, and she's shorter than me. But it, you, I mean, anyone next to Karen feels <laughs> you, you have large. you you have to see th- this photograph. And again, it's posted right, on our Facebook page yeah. because we're standing. It was we were done with the thing. We're standing. We're just posing for a mm-hmm. picture afterwards. I remember doing this. You look like you're ten and feet tall. I, I do. I mean, I look like <laughs> yeah. I'm the jolly green giant. I mean, again, I look freakishly large. And and the truth is, I, I mean. Right, Karen's probably about five feet tall, yeah, or, or yeah. something, probably, and and I'm I'm six one. You right. know? So I mean, it's uh, over but, a foot difference, right? Well, and, and you see that here. It's it's like there's this this, this giant that's towering you know, over. This you know person. what you need to do next time you take a picture with Karen, you need to do it from the waist up and have her stand <laughs> on a couple of boxes. That well, way, you don't look so you know freaky. Well, we did the morning blend yesterday, and and the, the gals on the morning to promote this, the gals on the morning blend were saying, well, what you should do is, is Karen, you should you should get on Jeff's shoulders, and you could like pass people out. I think I think yeah. The, the, the human resources people at Scripps would love right. that, that thing. But, You'd be covered in cream puffs, too. Uh, entirely. Well, and, okay, thank you. You, yeah. you. Without any prompting, you, without any prompting, you gave the right line, which, Jeff, you are not freakishly large. That's true. I appreciate that. You can check this out. It's at Facebook.com. All right, I'm going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we are going to be joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. We've got a number of things to talk to him about. Sales tax holiday, what's going on later on this um, the, the horrible situation, and now there's the visitation for the fallen Milwaukee police officer. That's all coming up. It's one twelve. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's one fifteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are now joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Governor, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, today, from the perspective of the pocketbooks of Wisconsin residents, today's a real big day. It's the start of the sales tax holiday, and I'm glad you could join us to talk about it. How is this going to work? Well, that's great. Yeah, and it's a super day. First time ever we've had a sales tax holiday. Started at 12.01 this morning, goes through the end of the day, end of business on Sunday, and it's all over the state of Wisconsin. And it's we call it the back-to-school sales tax holiday, but it's really not only on back-to-school supplies, but a whole bunch more. So back-to-school supplies, everything from crayons, markers, papers, um, you, you name it, things that kids need to go back to school, anything $75 and under, completely free of state sales tax. But it's other things. It's clothing, not just kids' clothing, any clothing, but 
Obviously, a big part of it's for kids. Uh, clothing that uh, anything that's seventy five dollars or less. <laughs> excuse my cough. Seventy five dollars or less. Um, so you could buy. You know, if you've got five, six shirts you're getting for kids or yourself, any of those things, as long as they're under seventy-five dollars, qualify. Right, and, and it's then, per item, sure. Governor. Right, it's it's per item. It's not to- so. I mean, you, you can buy you you can buy five twenty-dollar shirts, for example, and, and you get exactly. the discount. Right. Yep, and then it's computers. It's any computers that are being used for personal use, so not a business purchase, but anything for personal use, seven hundred fifty dollars or less is tax-free. And any computer supplies, so the stuff you need for your computer, $250 or less, all those things are tax-free through uh, the end of this Sunday. And uh, we think it's actually going to be a big boost. I, I was at stores today in Appleton. I was at stores yesterday around the state. Excuse my cough. I just think that it's going to be a big boost for merchants all over the state of Wisconsin, which will make us have an even bigger than expected surplus next year to do more to reduce the tax burden and uh, fund our priorities. Well, Governor, let's talk a little bit about that. For people who, who might not be familiar with where the money came from or might have forgotten, where, where where is the money coming from? What's the source of the revenue to help underwrite this program? Yeah, great question, Jeff. So this is this and the child uh, sales tax rebate, both of those things came about because Wisconsin this year had a larger-than-expected surplus. Uh, every year I've been in office, we've had a surplus. We went from a $3.6 billion budget deficit to surpluses. It, in the past year, this last budget, we put more money in the schools than ever before. And because of our reforms, that money actually goes into the classroom to improve the quality of education. We were still able to reduce property and income taxes and other taxes. In fact, to the end of this budget, will be $8 billion plus actually more than $8 billion in tax relief for senior citizens, for working families, for small business owners, family farmers, and others. All the other things we've done, we still had a surplus uh, more than we anticipated. And so since it was after the start of the year, after the start of the fiscal year, um, we thought the easiest way was to send it back first in a rebate earlier in the summer, and now in the sales tax rebate, which benefits parents, grandparents, family members, others out there, and it's just another example of how our reforms are working. Now, Governor, I, I know a lot of people still shop at brick-and-mortar stores, but, but people also shop online or, or they use the phone. This this applies, the same rules apply to online purchases and orders over the phone, right? If you're in Wisconsin and you make a purchase, this applies to you on all those items we talk about, no matter where or how you get it. Um, certainly, we hope people are going to places that 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 overwhelmingly going to places that that have a physical presence that, that hire people. That's part of the reason why I've been touring around. But whether you buy it from an online vendor or in person, uh, you are eligible for the sales tax rebate as long as it's for the things we talked about. And again, for, for people who might just be hearing about this for the first time, we want to make sure folks know about it. And it runs from today. So it's going on now, and it runs through Sunday. Runs through Sunday, uh, 11.59. So if a store's open <laughs> that late, it was funny this morning I got, early this morning I woke up and sure enough, there was an email from Kohl's, one of the many great retailers located and headquartered here in the state of Wisconsin, telling me it's official. Wisconsin has a sales tax holiday for the first time. And you know what's neat, Jeff, about this is we set money aside for $14.8 million out of that surplus we talked about, larger than expected. But if you look at the pattern in other states, for example, Ohio, the state of Ohio did this three years in a row. 
same way we're doing it right now, which is one year, sunset, have to reevaluate, come back and pass it again. They did it three years in a row, and after three years this spring, uh, they came back and made it permanent because the first year it actually gained money, and the subsequent years it broke even, uh, even though we count ours as though it's going to be a loss in, in revenues. We hope it will have the similar impact to what happened in Ohio, and that's because people came in from other states. So I sent out notices to the media in Chicago and Rockford and Dubuque and the Twin Cities and up in the UP to say, hey, come on into Wisconsin this week, buy your clothes, buy your back-to-school items, buy your computers, sales tax-free. Because what we found in Ohio's experience is then those same people bought other things that went beyond just what was sales tax-free, and it actually uh, – more than offset for the for the cost. So we think that'll be a boost to our economy. We think it'll be good for our retailers. And long term, it'll help us continue to lower taxes going into the next year and beyond. Well, yeah, I mean, that just intuitively, Governor, that makes that makes sense to me. You're uh, you're out there, you're, you're shopping for your kids or whatever, and, and you buy the, the shirts or the pants that are all under $75, and you see that sport coat that you like for yourself, or you see that dress or whatever, and, and maybe it's $100 or $125. So you're going to get it at the same time, so you are making that purchase. That, that just makes sense to me. Well, particularly, I, I laughed over the years. You know, Tonette and I obviously raised our family while it does, so we come down. So all sorts of different ethnic fests. And a lot of times when they when we were younger with the kids from family, particularly Fest Italiana, because my wife's Italian, uh, some friend of a friend of a family member would give us tickets for free. And I always used to joke, because people say, how do they make money if they're giving away free tickets? I said, well, it's because we'll buy almost anything if we think we got some for free or for a good deal. And so people coming in, getting a deal on this, probably, like you said, are going to buy other things. Certainly those people coming in from other states, that's all new. Now, that's just gravy on top of everything else if we get people to come into the state. And uh, that will just help us further see our economy grow, uh, which will put us in a place where next year we'll probably have another big surplus. And we'll be able to not only fund our priorities, but do even more to lower the burden on hardworking taxpayers in the state. Speaking about a big deal, of course, this is this is a political year. There, There's an election coming up in, in November. One of, and I guess I, I admit honestly, I'm a little bit surprised that that one of the issues that is developing is that the state's solicitation of, of Foxconn. We, we've broken ground on this. I know you've got a number of, of ads that are coming out. Um, are, are you a little bit surprised that maybe people don't understand what I think are the obvious advantages of, of what's going on, you know, it, with the Foxconn deal? Well, I think the real surprise is that liberal Democrats who for years said they want a good-paying, family-supporting job uh, now are acting like it's the plague. Uh, these are uh, 13,000 jobs that will pay $53,875 a year plus benefits, not to mention the thousands and thousands of other jobs, not only within that region but across the state, nearly 10,000 construction workers, all the people who will be a part of businesses in the supply chain. Thus far, just with the first couple phases, you have businesses that employ people in 60 of the 72 counties. It will probably reach close to all 72 when all said and done. But the, the, the real issue here is that Democrats knew from day one this was the biggest economic development project in the history of the state of Wisconsin. And they have gone out of their way to try and undermine, confuse, and outright lie in some cases about the things going on with Foxconn. That's why we're running these ads. Uh, this is a big deal. This is 13,000 good-paying jobs. It's jobs beyond that. It's long-term sustainability. Uh, the, the thing that amazes me is when I hear people say that someone told them 
some myth about what money they get. Let me be absolutely clear. Foxconn has to earn their tax credits based on actual investment and job creation. No jobs and investment, no tax credits. Uh, they have more. They've already are ahead of that curve. There's already people being hired, work being done, investments being made, and that's benefiting people all across the state of Wisconsin. And so, what you're going to find, Jeff, is in this campaign between now and November, uh, we're not going to back down. Uh, if uh, if they point out something that's false, we're going to come back strong and get the facts out because the facts are on our side. More people are working in the state than ever before. And we don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to the days when I was worried my kids, Matt and Alex, would have to go to another state to pursue their career. I want to keep Wisconsin working for generations to come. You know, Governor, it's interesting, again, because the, the idea that Foxconn might only benefit a certain part of the state. I mean, true story, I, I was talking to somebody in a bar <laughs> within the last week or so, and it was it was him and a couple people who, who live in the northwest part of the state. They are now down here in southeastern Wisconsin because they are construction workers and, and they're, yeah. they're working on the Fox. And, and, and he's, and I was actually talking to the guy and he's saying, yeah, we, we are down here. We are employed because of Foxconn, even though we live in the northwest part of the state. And he was thrilled. Yeah, Hoffman Construction is a great example. Black River Falls, they got tons of their guys. The other day I was on site. I was there on the 26th, which was a year to the date after we announced it. Uh, last summer, and it's amazing to think about any project, let alone one this big, has already been moving for quite some time. But there was 115 pieces of equipment. I mean, that's unheard of. That's unprecedented. That's like when you were a kid playing in the sandbox. That would be like having the sandbox full of cool pieces of equipment, and all of those were being worked with highly paid people who are doing a great job building one of the great new structures in the world right here in the state of Wisconsin. Governor, I know you got to go in a minute or two, but I, I want to. I, I want to just kind of switch gears on a, on a tragic note. And I, 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 you know, I know, of course, before you were the governor, you were the county executive in Milwaukee County. And I know, you know, as governor, unfortunately, you have had to attend funerals of, of law enforcement people. And I know that's the, the, what's going to be happening later on this afternoon. Your thoughts on the fallen Milwaukee police officer? Yeah, just an absolute hero. Uh, officer Michael Mahowski, uh, just everyone I talked to, I talked to his wife, Sue. Uh, last week, I talked to his partner who's been in the service with him, uh, uh, protecting and serving. I, I talked to the chief about him. I talked to a number of my friends in the Milwaukee Police Department about him. Uh, to a person, they said, this is this is the kind of officer you want. This is someone who's a servant leader. Um, I Like a lot of people, you probably did too. I, I watched the whole tape, nearly 20 minutes of him giving his testimony uh, at a Milwaukee church a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, just could not help but being impressed. Uh, you could see how that carried in the way that he treated people, how he interacted with people, even those that he had to arrest because they were doing bad things. Uh, he treated them uh, like decent human beings. And and uh, I know um, a lot of officers who at times were down and out, I'd hear about him helping them. Uh, just an incredible, tragic situation. But I, I think it's important to remember him as a hero, not just for how he died, but more importantly for how he lived. And I think it for for those of us who are not in law enforcement, I think it also serves as a testament to the, the danger that the men and women in law enforcement put themselves in on, on a daily basis to uh, allow the rest of us to you know live a, a lawful life and be protected from the criminal element that's out there. Well, that's exactly right, and it's a constant reminder about that's why the last thing we need is to be letting people out sooner than their sentences because the, this this guy, the thug. 
uh, that committed this just egregious murder of this hero of a man. Um, you know, is sadly like all too many people that are in the system. They've been in and out and in and out and in and out. And uh, we've got to make sure for the sake of not only our law enforcement, but for society as a whole, uh, that we keep those individuals uh, uh, away uh, from uh, society uh, as long as necessary, according to the courts. Governor Scott Walker, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, me this afternoon. We'll, you, we'll talk soon. Take care. That's Governor Scott Walker. And uh, uh, again, the, the the reason why the governor and I were talking was because of the sales tax holiday, which kicked in today. So it is it is a great opportunity. Take advantage of that if you're in the market for back to school clothing or school supplies or, or things like that. It, it's just it's a great, great deal. And um, we've got more details about that up on our website as well. It runs through Sunday starting today. So take advantage of that. 129 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 137 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thousands are expected to attend funeral services for fallen Milwaukee Police Department officer Michael Mikulski later today. John Mercure has complete coverage of those services and the procession to follow. It all starts at 3 o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. You know, right now what's going on is there is the visitation at the church in Oak Creek. I, I've been, I, we, we have a feed, so I've been watching this. I, I will tell you, and this is perhaps not surprising, it started at 11 o'clock, and, I, well, I've been here since 12, just watching this. The, the line, it, it's never ending, it, and, and it's just, it's amazing. And it's it's law enforcement officers, but it's not just law enforcement officers. It, it's obviously, it's members of the community um, all turning out to pay their respects. And uh, I know Governor Walker is going to be a part of the, the funeral service later on. And, again, um, then there's going to be a procession from Oak Creek, out to the the ultimate burial ground, and I, I we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep you updated on traffic because there are going to be some road closures. I know that there's some places downtown that have announced like early closings, or you you, you can't get into certain parking lots during a per- certain period of time. We will keep you apprised of all of that. I also know we've heard from a number of people who um, want want to want to see the procession. And, you know, looking for places they could, in fact, watch that. And we'll have all that information you know, for you. And it's also up and available on our website, 620WTMJ.com. All right. My, what I'm about to say might surprise you and some people might disagree. And that will lead to an interesting conversation. As I have said repeatedly since President Trump became president. I I don't believe that I have ever seen examples, and I, I'm speaking in generalities now. I, I, I understand it's generalities. But however you want to define the mainstream media, I do not think I have ever seen a, a vendetta launched by so many news outlets against a sitting president. Uh, may, maybe you go back to, to Watergate, you know, in, in 74 with President Nixon. But, but other than that, I mean, it, it seems from the beginning of the Trump administration, there were people in the media who were just decided that, that he was a liar, that he was unfit, that the election was illegitimate, it should have been Hillary Clinton, and that, that they've been out to get him. And, and, and I also understand the flip side. I, I understand that President Trump is thin-skinned. He, what I would describe as he punches down. He, he's the classic example of, of some street fighter slash bully or whatever 
that just can't let anything go. And, and he has to respond. And I, I also will be the first to tell you that he's, he's either, depending on how you want to look at it, he's either unpresidential or he's rewriting the rules of rule, the rules as to what a president is. So I, I, I understand all that. The media, and again, I'm generalizing, but the mainstream media, I, I think whether it's reporters or telejournalists, whatever, they are also very thin skinned collectively. Uh, they're, they're not used to being called on account. They're not used to being you know, singled out for uh, abuse and criticism in the way that the president does. And, and so you, you have this, this tension. In, in some respects, I think the president and collectively the mainstream media, it's like two sides of the same coin. You know, <laughs> the, 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 a, a lot of the weaknesses are they, they share some of their weaknesses again collectively. And I've told this story before of Showtime has this, this feature they did on the, they were with they were they embedded themselves with New York Times reporters. It was called the Fourth Estate, and it was it was four like hour long segments of the first year of the Trump administration. And um, they, you just watch this, and you see how so many of these reporters for the New York Times just loathed Donald Trump. I mean, they were just they they made no secret of the fact that they loathed Donald Trump. And, and then, of course, that all fed into the fact that well, he's a liar. This is terrible. But, I mean, I, I understand that, that you've got this animus that goes on, and I think President Trump plays into it, and he plays fast and loose with facts and all that type of stuff, and you have the media that's out there, the mainstream media, that's going to be a gotcha. You know, we're, we're going to analyze everything he says, and we're going to criticize him for that. If you read the New York Times or the Washington Post, it, it, Trump can do nothing right. And, and j- look, and that's just not how it works out. Barack Obama wasn't wrong all the time. He got some stuff right. Donald Trump isn't wrong all the time. He gets some stuff right. And depending on, again, your political persuasion, that might tell you how much stuff he gets right. But there, there is this, this war. The, the members of the mainstream media don't like to be called out. They hate the phrase fake news. Uh, they, they think that he is a, he being the president, is a threat to journalism and to journalists and all that. And so they respond. I mean, they, and so now you have this, this major league, you know, fill in the blank peeing contest that goes on on a regular basis, which brings me to what happened yesterday. The president was in Tampa, Florida for a couple events wrapping up with one of his Make America Great rallies that was held at uh, the Tampa Fairgrounds, right? So as as is typical, what happens is you have the, you know, the, the, the press corps, the mainstream media is there, and if you want to try to find the embodiment of, of somebody that President Trump considers to be, well, the, 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 the leader or the purveyor of fake news, it would be CNN in general, and it would be their correspondent, Jim Acosta, who you know, covers the White House. And there, to say there's no love lost between the president and Acosta and vice versa is, I think it would be an understatement. Uh, president Trump believes that Acosta is a, a, a guy that suffers from Trump derangement syndrome. And without going into all the examples of it, I think there's probably something to that. Um, but CNN is invested in this. They, they can't back down. So Jim Acosta is the guy that covers them. So anyhow, um, what happens is before the rally, Jim Acosta is live on CNN and he's trying to do a stand up report from what, you know, what, what's going on. President Trump has not spoken yet. The crowd 
is behind him. And the crowd decides collectively, the crowd decides that, well, they're going to tell Jim Acosta and they're going to tell CNN what they think of the network and what they think of him. Here is the audio from at least a portion of the audio from what's going on. Now, keep in mind, uh, Acosta is on a riser trying to do this live, live hit. Okay, here's the audio. You get the idea. <laughs> now that was it ended. I, I didn't play the whole thing. Um, there, there's part before that that they're screaming fake news and all this. And and Acosta is, is I think he's talking to Wolf Blitzer, and and he's he's trying to do this live thing, and he's saying, well, you know, we're being accused of fake news. You hear these chants, and of course, none of that is true. And I'm going to be here, you know, bringing you the truth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which shows the inflated sense of self that he has. But it is. This this incredible the crowd is just you know acting out in that particular fashion. Well, okay, so that happens before the rally. After after the rally ends, the president's son Eric Trump tweets out the video that accompanies that audio that we we just played, and the description is: Watch supporters of President Trump chant CNN sucks during Jim Acosta's live spot at Florida rally. So he sends it out. The president, then President Trump, then retweets this this post um, of this. Acosta, for his part, then tweets a separate video of the Trump supporters yelling at the media, and he says, just a sample of the sad scene we faced at the Trump rally in Tampa. I'm very worried that the hostility whipped up by Trump and some in the conservative media will result in somebody getting hurt. We should not treat our fellow Americans this way. The press is not the enemy. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Does Acosta have a point? He's obviously concerned, didn't like being shouted down by this, didn't like the way that the crowd turned on him. He thinks it's a sad scene that uh, worked up its hostility that's at, directed at the media and him in particular by President Trump. And he just says, well, we shouldn't treat our fellow Americans this way. Does he have a legitimate beef or is he reaping what he sowed? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a minute, should we feel sorry for the CNN reporter? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I'm going to share with you what what I think about this in just a minute, but I want to get your general reaction. Okay, if you're just tuning in, yesterday, President Trump is having one of his Make America Great rallies in Tampa. Before that... Jim Acosta, who has probably been one of Trump's principal antagonists, a guy who 
I think has been completely and totally, he is the poster boy for the Trump derangement syndrome in the mainstream media. CNN, though, doesn't pull him off. They put him out there. Um, he has the crowd. He's trying to do a live stand-up thing, and the crowd starts chanting, CNN sucks and fake news and things like that. And then he responds. Now he's put out a tweet saying, this is just terrible. Um, he, he's worried that... You know, facing this, it's a sad scene where people would have the audacity to criticize him, and he's worried that somebody's going to get hurt, meaning somebody in the press. We should not treat our fellow Americans this way. The press is not the enemy. All right. Does he have a point? Or is he is he reaping what he sowed? 414-799-1620. Let's start with, uh, let's talk to Jason in Mequon. Hi, Jason. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, absolutely, he is reaping what he sows. There's no way you should feel sorry for this guy. If you ever watch him in the press corps, he is constantly badgering the president on such, you know, stupid topics, you know, about this, that, and the other thing. And he incites all this um, by himself, by letting people on the Democratic side go ahead with their protests and burning things down. He doesn't call that out, you know, saying, what are you people doing so you think he you think this reporter is fundamentally unfair yes i do okay do you think the media in general is fundamentally unfair uh let me say this that they claim that they are you know calling it straight down the middle when they are obviously biased Right. You know, when we listen to you or any other conservative commentator, we know exactly right. where you're coming from. You don't have any beast about it. But they're calling it straight down the middle, and obviously it's slanted towards one side. So, yeah, I'd okay. say they're unfair. Okay, well, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Um, let's talk to Nathan in Milwaukee. Nathan, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure, what do you hey, think? I'm a, little, a little bit on the opposite side of it. Um, you know, yeah, the press is going to have their slants and their, their bits of unfairness. That's how it's been for the last 250 years. I mean, mm-hmm. go back to President John Adams and Jefferson. They have said the same thing one time or another. I, I think what really concerns me is, you know, it, yeah, maybe Trump's got some beefs with a cop or whoever, but is he crossing the line? You know, going out and saying another occasion, he said that, you know, referred to them as the enemy of the people. Right. I, that's what concerns me the most is it a little too much, you know, mm-hmm. in I kind of sympathize with Acosta. You know, is this going to go too far where someone gets hurt or you know, or whatever else happens? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I will tell you, well, you know, it's interesting because I think you're, what you're saying kind of mirrors what I'm saying. I I don't feel sorry for Jim Acosta because I, I, as I, I get, I think he as an individual really is kind of, and I, I mean, I, you, you, I respect aggressive reporting. Sam Donaldson used to be a thorn in the side of, of presidents, Republican and Democrat, but, but I do think Acosta, I, I don't see him necessarily as a fair, unbiased reporter. I mean, I think he's deep in the, the well of, of, um, of Trump derangement syndrome. Having said that, though, I, I guess I just, I thought what happened yesterday with the crowd was rude. I thought it was kind of like bad behavior. If you don't like what CNN's doing, well, you, you don't watch it. I guess I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, have we now gotten to this stage where you can have a, a group, a mob? And I don't care whether it's a conservative mob or a liberal mob. You know, when we have, for example, conservative speakers that get shouted down on college campuses, we denounce that. You know, we say this is terrible. You know, you, you have to allow people to speak. I guess I see this as sort of a version of that same thing. Don't watch CNN. 
criticize CNN, complain about CNN, but but the shouting down, I'm uncomfortable with that. Exactly. Yeah. No. Right. Now, thank, thank, and again, it's it, it's to me. You have to. I try to look at this stuff. Do I think the press is the enemy of the people? No, I don't. Do I think that there are members of the press that are biased? I, I certainly do. Do I think there is bias in the mainstream media? Yeah. Do I think that some reporters are so far over the top that their news organizations would be better off perhaps reassigning them, but they won't because now that that would look like a retreat? Yeah, I, I think that's the case. At the same time, though, the do I think somebody's going to get hurt because of the president's rhetoric? No, I I, I don't believe that. But but I I don't think it's it's I guess I just it's bad behavior. It, it's just it's just rude. And I'm I'm trying to think again if you had somebody from Fox News, for example, a conservative commentator that was doing a, a stand up or was doing some interviews or whatever, and you had you know two hundred. I don't know of of the Trump haters that are out there, and they were screaming and trying to shout them down. I would denounce that. I would say this is bad behavior. This is rude. And I think the the flip side applies. I don't think there's any need to go to these rallies and scream at this, this guy in this fashion. And I don't think the president helps his cause. To me, I think it's beneath the office of the presidency to retweet the thing of what happened there. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim, who's calling us from Illinois. Jim, good afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you that I think the reporter wants to be on the front line. He's probably been adamant about it. But I watched the video yesterday. It would have taken just one person to start throwing stuff where Mm -hmm. we got completely out of hand. And you really can't condone that as the the leader of the country or the son of the leader of the country. And, you know. Mm-hmm. What did you think last week of Jeff Sessions saying lock her up along with the high school kids, by the way? Yeah, I mean, again, so yeah, it, you, know, it, you can't incite it. It, it exactly, and, and and thanks for going. See, and again, I, I'm one. I'm trying to be consistent here because I know there's some people rolling their eyes, going, "Oh, Jeff, you're a CNN love." No, I, I mean, I think CNN is in the tank with Trump derangement syndrome. And I think Acosta is the poster boy for that. I think CNN should have pulled him off that beat a long time ago. So I don't feel sorry for him. I'm not sympathetic for him, but at the same time. That, that doesn't mean that you should be engaging in this type of bad behavior. Do I think the press is the enemy? No, the, the press isn't the enemy. But I, I am worried because you see this on both sides. You, you see this when the left shows up and tries to shout down people that they don't agree with. That, I think, is wrong, just like I think it's wrong to try to shout down the guy at CNN. Don't watch. That That's what the answer is. Criticize CNN. I think that's fair. But the, this idea where you're going to have the mob try to shout people down, I don't care whether it's coming from the right or coming from the left. I don't think that's the right thing. Bonnie in Milwaukee. Bonnie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Bonnie. What um, do you think? Basically, just what you were saying, I can agree with as well. Two wrongs don't make a right. Um, I don't agree with Jim Acosta, um, in, uh, nor respect a lot of his his reporting. However, it seems like as a country, we have truly lost the ability to discuss mm-hmm. differences of, of opinions. It's, it's more and more continually going to these, these shout downs, no matter what side that you're on, and mm-hmm. nothing gets accomplished. The animosity just continues to grow and, and separate the nation. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like, at what point are we 
Right. Well, and I'll give you an example, Bonnie, from from the other perspective. I, I think that the, the people of the so-called resistance who identify public officials, people who work for the Trump administration, and, and scream at them, or or Mitch McConnell or whatever, scream at them and shout at them when they're in restaurants and things like that, I think that's incredibly rude. I think that's bad behavior, and, and I don't condone that either. I mean, you know, again, you're out to dinner. All right, you have these people that are screaming or they're, they're showing up outside your house. That's that's awful as well. But we you can't criticize it from the right if you know you're you're the left is doing it and vice versa that's we're losing that civility and and i think a lot of people are responsible for that Absolutely. so yeah thank, thanks for calling it so that i mean that that's it if, if you're looking at this and you're saying right on i'm glad they screamed at him okay well that that's fine but then how did you feel when we were doing the story about sarah sanders getting thrown out or the idea of the resistance people and the maxine waters of the world saying we have an obligation to go out and scream at these people who work for the trump administration we, we don't like any of that so you know maybe people should just i don't know maybe everybody needs to dial it back it's 159 It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Melissa was just saying, we're um, continuing to monitor the, the visitation of the fallen Milwaukee police officer, and it's been, uh, the, the, like I said, I'm watching a video feed of it, and the, the line has just not slowed down since it started at 11 o'clock. The funeral services themselves start at 3 o'clock. We will be dipping into coverage of that, and then we'll have pretty much wall-to-wall coverage of the procession, which is supposed to kick off around 5 o'clock, including traffic updates, uh, because I know there's going to be road closures while the procession moves through the, the area. So we'll keep you updated on all that. I know that's going to be a huge part of John and Melissa's show in Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, this this is a very interesting story, and I am curious as to what your reaction is, because it it, it sort of brings home a lot of the questions we have to deal with with, with immigration. There are, what are the estimates? Uh, about 11 million people that are in this country illegally. As I have said repeatedly, to, and if you don't believe anything else I say on this program, trust me when I say this, we don't have the infrastructure in this country to deport 11 million people. We, we just don't. We have, don't have enough immigration judges. We don't have the, the resources. That, that's just the reality. The flip side, though, is does that mean that you just ignore the immigration laws? Does that mean we deport nobody? Does that mean we only deport the people who have committed crimes? And right now, I'm not talking about the dreamers. I'm not talking about the, the kids that came into this country illegally and then, you know, have stayed. But I'm talking about, you know, the, the other larger group of people who are in this country illegally, including maybe after they've been deported. Now, here's the story, and it's, it's roiling Racine. Uh, let me read you a portion of the way the journal Sentinel covers it. All right. Uh, this is what they write. Few people are as well known in Racine's Latino community as Ricardo Fierro, a longtime volunteer and immigrant rights activist, 
Fierro has led the Racine branch of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. He has served as the president of the League of United Latin American Citizens. He has chaired the local Interfaith Coalition's Immigration Task Force, and he served on numerous advisory boards for two Racine mayors, the county executive, the local school board, and more. He has, with the exception of what I'm going to talk about in a minute, no criminal record. He is also undocumented, which means he is in this country illegally. Fierro, 39, was taken into custody by ICE agents outside his Racine home last week, a move that shocked his family and friends. His detention has sparked outrage in the city, this is the Journal Sentinel writing, where he has lived for more than two decades, and supporters across the state are calling for his release. Then they've got protesters that have turned out at a news conference updating the status. You've got a state representative who met him at this interfaith concert uh, conference. You know, she's upset. They're calling on ICE to return him to the community, saying we're ashamed to be citizens of the country that you would consider tossing somebody like this out. Fierro, the story continues, a native of Mexico and a father of seven, was taken into custody on July 24th outside the home he shared with his fiancée. He's being held in the Dodge County Detention Facility. Um, His attorney says he's filed a request for a stay of deportation that is being considered by ICE officials. All right, Fierro, here's the background, came to the United States with his family when he was 16. Um, He returned to Mexico when he was 20. The reason he supposedly returned to Mexico was to obtain medicine for his brother that the family could not afford here. All right. So he comes into this country at 16. He leaves at 20 and then comes back into the country. At that point in time, he's apprehended. He's detained as he is trying to come back illegally into this country. And at that point in time, he is deported. So he's now been officially deported, all right? Thrown out of the country, he's been deported. Despite the fact that he has been deported, he returns illegally. So he comes back after he's been deported. Um, over the last two years, ICE has ratcheted up enforcement actions. He's supposedly been working to educate local undocumented immigrants to ensure they know their rights. But essentially, that's... That's the story. No criminal record. He's been here for a, a number of years. He's 39. He was he was caught. He comes into the country at 16, leaves to go back to Mexico when he's 20, tries to come back into the country, gets caught and is deported, and then he comes back in again illegally, and he's been living in Racine for, I don't know, the last 15, 20 years. He's got seven kids living with his fiance, member of all these boards and all this stuff, but all the time he's been here illegally after he has been deported. Now they've caught him again, and they're looking at deporting him a second time. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, should they make an exception? How do you handle somebody like this? Now, does it make any difference in your mind that this isn't somebody, is there a difference between somebody, for example, that comes into this country illegally at the age of 16 and stays here versus somebody who comes into this country, leaves, 
tries to come back in, gets caught, is deported, and then comes back in. Does the fact that he has been deported, should that make any difference? Or is the fact that he was in this country illegally in the first place, is ICE the bad guy for trying to deport him? Apparently, he's been very, very active. He is not, I don't believe, a danger to society, but he is in this country illegally after deportation. Should ICE look the other way for a guy like this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down this, but how, how do you react to this particular story? Like I say, this is, it's kind of getting some national attraction as the, an example of the abuse and the overreach of, of ICE that you would try to deport for the second time a guy like this. All right, 414-799-1620, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just by way of background, the guy we're talking about, the the activist in the scene, five children with U.S. citizenship, two stepchildren with U.S. citizenship. He is self-employed, no criminal record besides a, a, a driving of driving violation somewhere along the line. So, you know, we're, we're not talking about somebody who's been engaging in criminal behavior, except, except to the extent that, you know, he illegally came into this country after he was deported. Should that make a difference? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kathy in Waukesha. Hi, Kathy. Hello. What do you um, think? I do not think he should be deported. And, um, it, it, it struck me when you used the word he was caught by ICE officials because I thought he's not a criminal or someone who's committed some some crime and was being pursued. He's been working and living and contributing within the community for years and years and years. And 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 so um it, Well what about the fact that he he was deported, and well, now he's return. He returned to the country illegally after being deported. Does that does well, that count for I anything? You're, in the story you um, you reported, it, it said mm-hmm. he he came back. He left the country to get mm-hmm. some drugs for his brother that he yeah. couldn't afford here. So that's why he left and was coming back into the country. Mm-hmm. So I. I I think those kinds of things have to be considered. I think if, if if instead we could focus on finding people who are not contributing, who are mm-hmm. who are being destructive and and um, you know having a very negative influence on the community, rather than someone who you know the entire it sounds like most of the community of Racine is. Yeah. is um, so what? Do you, let me let me ask you this then, Kathy. Where and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but it's a legitimate question. Where do you end up drawing? Where do you end up drawing the line? You, you've got somebody who is here after deportation, who is apparently a good guy, constructive, all those things. But he's been here for the last 20 years illegally, and it, it's not and it's not his first time at the rodeo. He was actually deported. Do if you're ICE, do you just look? Do you just look the other way? Well, again, this is where I I think. When we look at the problem with our immigration system, mm-hmm. this is something we have to fix because they're in it. I mean, yeah. their their jobs shouldn't include either 
arresting and deporting this person or looking the other way. Right. That there should be a, a better option than that. Like a, th- a third uh, option. Like, like, like helping, then help him become a citizen. Okay. Help him figure out then what is the route to becoming a citizen. Well, and the truth um, of that, Kathy, is at least the way the system is set up now is once you've been deported, um, and you've come back in legally. I don't know that there is a route, <laughs> you know, to, to legal residence, right? Yeah, and then I think that's again where there are so many problems in our system, and and um, it, it, it is going to take working together. And before I heard you talking about being being civil on both sides, mm-hmm. I think if we we got to start being not only civil but starting to work together, because um, this is. This is causing too much um, okay, turmoil. Okay, okay. good enough. No, thanks for the perspective. I, I appreciate. It. I mean, these are, you know, in this particular case. I mean, the question becomes, what is I supposed to do? Because you do have, is you do have somebody who has already been ordered deported, you no, know, been through the system, and then returned after being deported. So I guess the question becomes is do you now just completely look the other way because he's apparently been a constructive member and a contributing member of society even though he, he's here legally? And then what what does that say? Where do you draw the line? And I, I, I wrestle with this out loud because, I mean, to me, if, if I were immigration, I would be concentrating on trying to identify of the 11 million people that are in this country illegally, I'd be trying to identify the 10 or 20 percent or whatever the number is of people who are who are causing the problems. And, and I'd be concentrating on them. But having said that, what do you do when I don't know if they got a tip or whatever, but somebody says, hey, there's this guy. He's here. He's after deportation. What do you do if, if you're ice? Can you just turn your just turn a blind eye? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mark in Bayview. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my sure. call. Um, I think, um, well, everybody here, other than Native Americans, are immigrants or their family, their grandparents, their parents. I don't think the problem really is immigration. The problem is legal versus illegal. Mm-hmm. And once you commit a crime, be it me or you robbing a bank or drunk driving, once you face justice, their hands really are tied and they have to follow the law. They may make an example out of this gentleman. Um, he might be an upstanding citizen and help the community. But I read in the paper that um, the people he helps, the Hispanic community, they're outraged. Yep. Well, the problem is they have to look at that outrage and say, hey, he's a great guy, but he messed up. He came back into this country illegally. That is the line. And I think once somebody crosses that line, they have to pay. They have to serve justice. The laws are written, so they, they have to, you know, proceed with charges against this gentleman. As nice as he may be, you know, I have friends that are Hispanic, but as far as I know, they all came here and are here legally. And and that's the problem. And that's our whole problem in this city, in this country, is crime and the line between legal and illegal. Well, well it is. I mean, too many gray areas. Well, right. well thanks. So, I mean, well, what what we have to do, and this is kind of where I come down on this as well. And I, I it, it's, I think it's too simplistic to simply say what part of illegal don't you understand? I mean, and I know some people think about that. Look, I think. We need to find a way for people. 
Now, I, the, one of the things that I'm getting hung up on, and I admit, is the fact that he was deported once. So that's that's to me, after you are deported and you make the decision that you are going to come back, that's not, hey, you know, I, I'm a dreamer. I came in with my parents and, you know, I, I was here and I've been assimilated. Once you, you leave and you come back after deportation, I'm not sure what I'm about to say applies because to me that puts you in a different category. You are knowingly, intentionally breaking the law by coming back after you have been deported. And th- that, again, I think is a little bit different than maybe somebody who's never been caught in the first place, hiding in plain sight or whatever. I do think we need to figure out a system to allow at least some of the people that have been in this country illegally, not a path to citizenship, but maybe a path to permanent residency, whether I would apply that and extend it to this guy because he came in after he was deported. And, and maybe that sounds like a technicality that I'm getting hung up on, but he, he did go through the system once and clearly decided he was going to ignore the system and and come back in violation of the law a second time. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Manitowoc. John, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. This is a good topic. Um, I don't think... I have my moments every once in a while. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) you You know, I don't think most people realize there is a law that was written many years ago about crossing the border illegally. It's not the Trump law. It's not the Obama law. And it goes back. The, the big thing here is, is that people have to realize he broke the law. Now, it's a horrible situation. He's a great community member. I understand that. But we have to look at the fact that the law has been broken. Yeah. Our, our state senators don't even know what the law was. It just happened on the, the other day, uh, the lady from Hawaii. She was confused when the ICE agent was talking to her about it's a law. Right. And she didn't even know it. I feel horrible for the situation. I'm not a racist. I'm not biased. But we do have to protect our borders to a certain extent. Because me and you can't just cross the border without... Well, think we can just move in. Well, I mean, that is, I mean, right. That, see, that is kind of the flip side. If, if you or I, John, decided that we were going to... I don't know, re- relocate to France or to Great Britain or Australia or whatever, and we we ended up, Spain, we ended up overstaying our visa. Well, you know, we, we, we they, they, the authorities, I tell you, if they caught us, even if we'd be managed to be there for 10 years, if they caught us, we'd be gone in two weeks. That's just the, that's just the reality. So is this really different? Can you, can you ignore the law? That becomes the question. Well, you can't, and and here's the thing. The law has been on the books for many, many years throughout different presidents. It just happens to be this president has stepped up and said, guys, let's take care of this problem, and right. let's try to, let's, let's get right. it done. And right. I agree with you as far as let's try to hit the criminals. They're the most important. They're number one first. And, and they should try to find a way for some of these guys right. that have been in the community for a while. I understand it. See if there's another option for them, but Hey, he broke the law. Yeah. Can you break the law? What's going to happen? We're not going to get a free pass. Right. You're going to be held accountable. Thanks. And see, you know, I, I talk about how difficult this is, but, you know, if there was a will, that th- this could be accomplished, and there's blame to go all around. Here is the reality. If the left would agree to increased border enforcement. Look, because the key to dealing with illegal immigration is to shut it off. I mean, you, you have to, at some point in time, you have to say, look, 
we we have got to stop people from coming into this country illegally. And part of the problem is you've got a number of people on the left who they don't want to come out and say it, but they're really in favor of open borders. They they don't th- they think anybody that wants to come to the United States should be able to come. And 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 I don't agree with that. I don't think most people agree with that. But you could get an immigration deal done if you could get the left to say, all right. We're going to, and I'm not saying necessarily build a wall. I'm not sure that's the way to go. But we're going to go with increased border enforcement, and we're going to say starting tomorrow, date of this law, boom, we're not going to have any tolerance for people who come in the country illegally. But for the people who are in this country who have come in illegally but have not caused problems, maybe we can figure out a way to let you stay, not to become citizens, but to let you stay. Just saying you could get that done. But the problem is there's both people on the left and people on the right who have their agendas and they're not willing to compromise. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 238, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, there is a, there is a band and I guess they still perform from time to time, but I, I emceed, I emceed like one of their farewell things. They're kind of like the Who, I think, you know, the, the Who's always on its perpetual like, like farewell tour. And it's, it's a band called the Happy Schnapps Combo that in its original incarnation, uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, they operated out of the back of a liquor store in Manitowoc, but they were kind of a rock and roll polka band. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it's, they're, they're the ones that do the bears still suck. That's the, it's the Happy Schnapps Combo. They also do a song, and I just, if I would have been better prepared, I have it on CD. Matter of fact, I have it back at my cube. They have a song called Fleet Farm, and I I was actually, we're trying to get it off the internet, and the the sound quality of that isn't good enough to play. But they got a song called Fleet Farm. Now, you might say, all right, Jeff, now I'm intrigued. Why, Why do we care about the Happy Schnapps combo and Fleet Farm? Well, the Happy Schnapps combo was always an entertaining sort of group to watch perform, but, but, we care about Fleet Farm, and the reason is because while a number of retailers, you think about the retailers who are either have gone out of business or are going out of business. Um, for example, you know Boston Store. I mean, Boston Store just a, a a local a legend. I mean, Boston Store has been a big part of this community for. You know, the last, what, 40 or 50 years or, or whatever. And now it, it's gone. You know, um, it, it's gone or effectively it will be gone soon. Sears stores are closing right and left. And uh, my prediction is within the next couple of years, Sears stores will be gone. At the same time, there are some stores that are thriving. I, I saw this story, um, in the business journal had it and the journal Sentinel had it as well. Mills Fleet Farm. Is considering expanding. Mills Fleet Farm has been around since the 1950s, and they are a retail chain which is growing. Story is they're apparently considering buying a 27-acre parcel in Grafton, uh, right around that that growing district, uh, the, the commercial district that they have up in Grafton. They're doing the wetland studies and things like that. A new Grafton location would bring Fleet Farm store count to 43 up from 36 in the middle of 2017. All right, so here you have a, a I mean, it's a department store sort of, kind of, that, that's growing. You have, again, 2017, 
36 stores. If they go to this Grafton store, they will have added six stores in the space of the last year. And that is a time where most retailers are are closing the, the doors. Um, of course, you know if you don't know Fleet Farm, it's based out of Appleton, and they do outdoor gear and tools and farm equipment and clothing and tires and salt and all sorts of stuff. I can go to Fleet Farm and wander around for an hour and a half and see all sorts of stuff that I've never seen and much stuff that I didn't know I needed, but I wanted after I see it. Fleet Farm is aiming to increase from 43, which they will have if they open this Grafton store. They're looking to increase it to up to 70 locations in the next four or five years. They're, they are in a growth mold. And they're looking at opening up stores, not just the only the Grafton one, Oconomowoc, Delavan, Eau Claire, Sioux City, Iowa, Kenosha, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, maybe revamping their West Bend store. Fleet Farm is doing something that a lot of other retailers aren't. Right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why is a store like this, why is a chain like this succeeding when so many other retail stores are failing? What is the secret? What are they doing? Is it the nature of the product? Is it the price point? If you are, if you're a shopper at Fleet Farm, why do you think, why do they have the kind of customer base that is allowing them to, to, to expand when most similar type of businesses are retrenching? What are they doing right? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a theory, but if you're a Fleet Farm shopper, I would be curious to know what your theory is. Um, if you're on the line, please hold on. Gru is lining up the calls. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I am always intrigued by what how businesses succeed and others fail. It's tough to be a, a retail store nowadays. It, it just is. And you see that with the closings of Boston store. Sears is on its way out. The last Sears store in Chicago just closed a couple weeks ago. And, and yet you have a store like Mills Fleet Farm, which which is expanding. I mean, they've, they've added six or seven stores in the last year. Their plan is to add another dozen or a couple dozen stores over the course of the next couple years, what are they doing that other retailers aren't? Let's start with Brian in Appleton. Brian, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. My wife happens to be a senior uh, computer software engineer at the corporate office in Appleton. And I can just tell you from the experience I've had with them is that I think they do better because they offer a variety of items, kind of as you had indicated, that other stores just don't sell. And they're just as competitive in price as other stores that's right. similar to what they have, but there's just those unique items that you would find <laughs> at Sea Farm that you're not going to find at other places that you know you would use. I mean, I, I really think of, and the other thing is, give an example of a friend who bought a pair of boots for two hundred dollars that he uses for work. I mean, he wore them for for three or four months, and they started splitting apart. Well, you pay two hundred dollars for a pair of boots, you know that right. should last you a little longer. That well. He lost the receipt, took the boots back, and they gave him a new pair without any question. Right. You know, it's just that type of business plan and you know relationship with the customer that makes right. them stand out above and beyond the others. You know. 
Well, and the thanks, it's, it's interesting. I was, uh, the last one I was in, they have a small one. I, I, small is relative. They have a, a, a comparatively, I think, a smaller one, and it's an older store in West Bend. And I was in there not that long ago, and I was just kind of, I seriously, I was just sort of overwhelmed as I'm walking up and down the aisles about all the different stuff they had and things that, again, like I was saying, I don't know that I need it, but you kind of think, I, I might end up wanting this this type of thing. And now I think they're, they're also looking at building a, a new, larger store out in the West Bend area. But they're doing something that, that's that's right Matt in Milwaukee. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. You know, uh, I take my uh, make my regular pit stop up in Clintonville there before I get to the cabin, and it, it's just a traditional stop when you head up north. And there are more and more out of state plates coming coming up, and you know, it, it's it's just the one stop shop for everything you need. Get your you know low, lower unit uh, oil, you get your fishing bait, you get everything there, and and. You know, you're done, and, and they just have that figured out. And right. like I, I can speak to the previous caller, the customer service is dead on, uh, prices are good. Uh, you know, you, you just know where you're going to go when you need something. And and up there in the Northwoods, you want a fleet farm. That's mm-hmm. the, they just got to figure it out. Well, yeah, and, and see, and, and that's there is the business model. The reason I was just devoting a segment of the program to it is because – there's a lot of people that think that retail is dead. And if it's, you know, the, the, the traditional right. brick and mortar stores, they're going the way of, of, of the dinosaur. I don't think that's true. I, I think they have to end up adapting, but there are right. stores. And Fleet Farm is, is the classic example. Even in the age of the Internet and Amazon Prime and all that stuff, they are right. expanding. Yeah, and, and, you know, for them to to have the ability to expand, uh, you know, tells you that they're a good company to work for. People want that growth, want to be a part of that culture. And I'll tell you what, I'll go, I'll go to a fleet farm before any major, you know, uh, mainstream uh, retail store any day. Yeah, outstanding. Thanks for the call. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. We have three kids, and my wife and I love these type of farm stores. They typically have very high-quality items, especially clothes and shoes, a real value with a good selection and service. They keep the stores clean and well-maintained. The prices are extremely fair. The environment is very family-friendly and reminds me of stores that I grew up in in the 70s and 80s, you know, all around a a good experience. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the key. That I think that you end up uh, having there um, again value and people ending up being believing that they're in a uh, that they're in a you know a good situation um, here okay here's a text you scared me I thought you would say the opposite Fleet Farm has the best snacks ever their almonds their snack mixes and pistachios are great they should do more with food they also sell stuff in in bulk and I think that appeals I think that appeals to a lot of people as well. I guess I just look at this, and you have a company that's based out of Appleton, and it's expanding. It's growing. It shows that there is life for retail if you can figure out a way to capture what that particular market is. And I understand that that's that's the struggle. That's the niche that places like Boston Store and Sears and, I guess, Kmart to an extent, and a lot of these uh, JCPenney's would be another example of that, these department stores that – there are the ones that we all grew up with that are now starting to disappear because they weren't able to adapt. Does it mean that there's going to be a death of retail? The answer is no. And just look at stores like Mills Fleet Farm, for example. They are 
you know, they're they're succeeding. And there's a number of the other farm stores that are doing as well. I single this one out simply because it's on a growth pattern and they're building new stores and they're employing people. And that is a good thing. All right. It is 253. Very a very, very sad day. This is the, uh, of course, it's going to be the funeral services for the fallen Milwaukee police officer. The visitation has been going on nonstop since 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, the funeral is supposed to start at 3 o'clock. I know there's going to be a number of people who are going to be speaking at the funeral, including Governor Walker and uh, the Milwaukee police chief. There's then going to be a procession um, through the streets and on the freeways. We're going to be bringing you... Well, certainly wall-to-wall coverage of the procession and I think a lot of coverage of the funeral as well. John McCure, Melissa Barkley going to be all over that. When we come back, uh, we'll let them give you a preview of what they've got coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So please stick around. It's 2.54. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.